Afrika Zola Afrika amka na unai Good morning and a very warm welcome to Africa Rise and Shine. This is Channel Africa from an African perspective coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. We are on DSTV's audio bouquet channel 802 and on www.channelafrica.co.za. I'm Lulu Gabu in studio with Anne Musa, Tavisa Duhoko and Figile Lingwati. In our top stories on Africa Rise and Shine at the Sawa, South Africa's president seeks review of public protector's report and the WHO says Ebola is not top of people's agenda in the DRC communities. In economics news, Rwanda prepares to host inaugural Golden Business Forum. And in sports news, South Africa beat Australia in the opening match of the rugby championship. But first up, the news with Anne Musa. A very good morning to you. I'm Anne Moussa. The South African President Cyril Ramaphosa says he will not allow the public protector Busisi Mkwebane's findings against him to distract him from his mandate to address the challenges that the country is facing. Ramaphosa announced at a media briefing that he would seek an urgent judicial review of Mkwebane's report, which found that Ramaphosa misled Parliament about receiving a hefty donation for his 2017 presidential campaign. The president says his administration will continue to work on advancing the needs of South Africans. We will continue with the urgent and critical tasks that are required to be embarked upon to grow our economy, to mobilize investments into South Africa, to create jobs and to reduce poverty. We will not be detracted from the great responsibility we have to advance the interests and the needs of all the people of our country. DRC authorities have banned political rallies this week in the capital, Kinshasa, because of tensions between supporters of President Felix Tshisekedi and those of former leader Joseph Kabila. Tshisekedi was elected in December to replace Kabila, who presided over sub-Saharan Africa's biggest country for nearly two decades. Tensions rose in the capital after the youth wing of Tshisekedi's Democracy and Social Progress Party announced it would hold a protest against the candidacy of a former Justice Minister for the Senate. Presidency. In response, the pro Kabila Red Berets movement said it would hold a counter march to support the candidacy of Alexis Tambwe, who is considered by many a hardliner from the Kabila regime. At least 17 people have been killed in clashes between Ethiopian security forces and activists seeking a new autonomous region for their Sadama ethnic group. A local district official says at least 13 people were killed in a town near Hawassa city, while hospital authorities on Friday said that four protesters had died of gunshot wounds in the city itself. The Sadama threat to declare a new region posed a direct challenge to the authority of the federal government in the Horn of Africa country of 105 million people. Police in Nigeria say four Turkish nationals have been abducted in the west of the country. The four who are construction workers were kidnapped by gunmen at a bar in Kwara State. The BBC's Ishak Khalid has the details. It is not clear whether there were casualties during the abduction. The police have launched a rescue operation 
Kidnappings for ransom are frequent in Nigeria. Both locals and expatriates are targeted by armed groups. On Tuesday, 10 Turkish sailors were taken hostage by pirates who attacked their cargo ship off the coast of Nigeria. They have yet to be freed. And finally, the humanitarian group SOS Mediterranean says it has resumed migrant rescue operations off the coast of Libya. The resumption of activities in the Mediterranean comes seven months after the group abandoned efforts using its ship, the Aquarius, saying it was being obstructed by some European countries. The BBC's Mike Sanders. The new vessel flying a Norwegian flag is called Ocean Viking. Its crew of 31 includes nine members of the humanitarian group Doctors Without Borders. SOS Mediterranean has launched a multilingual video appeal for donations. Not once does the film mention the word migrants. The Ocean Viking could have a short operational life. Italy's Interior Minister Matteo Salvini closed Italian ports to migrant rescue vessels 13 months ago. And that's the news headlines at 7.30 Central African Time. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorka. Africa, Amuka na Unai. Follow Channel Africa on these social media platforms on Facebook, Channel Africa One, on Twitter, at Channel Africa One, and YouTube on Channel Africa Radio. Our website, www.channelafrica.co.za. Channel Africa, from an African perspective. Cyril Ramaphosa says he will seek an urgent judicial review of the Public Protector's report that says he violated the executive ethics and the Constitution by deliberately misleading Parliament. This stems from a donation of $36,000 made to his presidential election campaign by the controversial facilities management company Busasa. President Ramaphosa initially told Parliament the money was a legitimate payment made to his son only to later retract and admit the money was paid to his presidential campaign. Lila Machnas reports. President Cyril Ramaphosa says after careful consideration by him and his legal team, they came to the conclusion that the public protector's report is fundamentally flawed. The report contains numerous factual inaccuracies of a material nature. Findings were found are wrong in law, are irrational, and in some instances exceed the scope of the powers of the public protector. Furthermore, in failing to provide me with an opportunity to comment on the proposed remedial action, the public protector has violated the provisions of the Public Protector Act, the Constitution and the principles of our common law. He says given the gravity of the accusations against him, the report must be reviewed urgently. I'm taking this action in the firm belief that the President of the Republic is not above the law and nor is the public protector of the Republic also above the law. The public protector is equally bound by the law and like the President is answerable to the provisions of our Constitution. It is therefore appropriate that we place this matter before the courts 
Ramaphosa says the fact that he is taking the report on judicial review is not a comment on the person of the public protector advocate Busisiwe Mkwabane. Ramaphosa says he respects the institutions that are established in terms of the constitution. I have decided to take this action not only to protect the rights that the constitution affords me as a person, but also to preserve the integrity of the office that I occupy. I have decided to take this action not out of disrespect for the public protector as a crucial institution of our democracy, but in the expectation that the institution will ultimately be strengthened by an independent and impartial judicial review. He says South Africans should not be concerned that the judicial review process will interfere with the work of government to end state capture, stop corruption, and to restore the integrity and credibility of the public institutions. I am Lila Magnus in Pretoria. A campaign against what has been labelled the fight back was launched at the Johannesburg City Hall on Sunday. The South African Communist Party and the Ahmed Khathrada Foundation, with 20 other organisations, came together in a mass rally to mobilise support under the banner Defend Our Democracy, Confront the State Capture Fight Back. In attendance were prominent figures such as Public Enterprises Minister Pravin Gordon and former ministers Trevor Manuel and Derek Hanekom. Nomalizo Mandela reports. Addressing the gathering, SSEP's first deputy, Solima Paila, said that while Public Enterprises Minister Pravin Gordon inspired the campaign, it was not about him. When we saw him hanged on the wall, being attacked left, right and centre, racial abuse held at him for standing his ground to fight corruption in the state-owned enterprises. We said there's no way we can keep quiet when a good man of integrity has been attacked in this way. This campaign defends you, Comrade PG, but this campaign is not a campaign for PG. Mapaila, in a direct response to economic freedom fighters leader Julius Malema, said that Godan is no constitutional delinquent, but rather Malema is. Mapaila reminded the crowd of how former public protector Dulima Tonzela had found that Malema improperly benefited through his Ratanang family trust from the unlawfully awarded 52 million tender by the Limpopo government to on-point engineering. The corruption, looting and plunder contributed by no small measure to pushing the Limpopo government to a point of bankrupt. What moral standing that the commander-in-thief commanding is nothing but a real constitutional delinquent. That's the real constitutional delinquent. Mabaila also addressed the spy allegations by former President Jacob Zuma, saying that while they as SSCP find the allegations unbelievable, the former president has implicated himself. We are highlighting this point because we want to put another contradiction further. For instance, Neil Barnard, who has been widely reported in the media as having the apartheid regime spy, he, was the, he, he doesn't deny the fact that we all know it was, it was known. He was there during the apartheid, actually led the institution. He is currently been embroiled in a litigation with government, claiming millions of rents from the state, particularly from the state security agency, because 
the state security agency hired his services. Amongst the 20 civic organizations participating at the rally was Corruption Watch, represented by its leader, David Lewis, and Freedom Under Law, represented by its executive officer, Nicole Pritzer. So let's get ready for another really tough, maybe even more violent round than the last round, because we've got a hell of a fight ahead of us, a real hell of a fight ahead of us. We really have to be ready and to know what it is we're fighting in this round. But there is no way we fully realize the promise of our constitution that we can live in a country in which equality, dignity and freedom are real unless we confront state capture and we confront the fight back against those who would see state capture win. Another campaign, recall South Africa's ambassador to the Netherlands, Bruce Kolwane, was introduced at the rally. Kolwane testified at the state capture inquiry that while he was chief of state protocol, he abused his position to benefit the Gupta family. We are saying he cannot represent us any, anywhere in the world. We wrote to the minister, Pando, minister of foreign affairs, Pando, that we know that there is a Zondo commission, but in the meantime, this man is not fit and proper to represent the proud people of South Africa anywhere in the world. And that report by Nomalizo Mandela. The head of a South African inquiry into government reputation, into government corruption, says the former president Jacob Zuma has agreed to continue giving evidence. On Friday, Mr. Zuma's lawyer said his client would take no further part after he'd been subjected to what he called relentless cross-examination. The inquiry had previously heard that Zuma used the presidency to enrich himself, his family and his business friends, the Gupta family, that Zuma used his influence to direct government contracts to the Guptas and that he allowed them to influence ministerial appointments. The BBC's Andrew Harding reports from Johannesburg. Jacob Zuma strides into a Johannesburg conference hall, flanked by his bodyguards, his supporters cheering him on. But these are profoundly uncomfortable times for South Africa's once untouchable former president. How are you feeling, Mr Zuma? Ready to tell the truth? He ignores my questions. The truth, the whole truth, and nothing else but the truth. So help me God. Zuma is under oath before a judge at a public inquiry into high-level corruption. Corruption blamed in testimony from a string of ministers and civil servants on Jacob Zuma himself. My brother, there are these Gupta guys who need to meet you and who need your help. Please do help them. Zuma is accused of allowing his wealthy friends, the Gupta family, to appoint cabinet ministers. A member of the Gupta family offered a ministerial... He's accused of allowing the Guptas to enrich themselves by grabbing state contracts. The commercial interests of the Guptas... Of orchestrating the near collapse of institutions like the National Prosecuting Office in order to escape criminal charges. And the list goes on. It is jaw-dropping stuff. And so far this week, to each specific allegation, Zuma has responded in more or less the same way. I, I don't remember myself saying this. Well, I know nothing about this matter. I would not have said this. How could I have said this? He wasn't there. Everyone is lying. He doesn't remember. No, I've, I've got no idea what was happening here. And Zuma doesn't leave it there. 
But I thought it was important to explain in public why I have been a subject of attack. Outside the inquiry, he tells a small crowd of supporters that he's the victim of a vast conspiracy. He talks of traitors, of dastardly plots by Western governments. Three intelligence organizations planned how to finish me off through the character assassination. And sure enough, some believe it. We are saying we are ready to die for Zuma. You're ready to die for Zuma? Yeah, Zuma is the only president who fights for our land, our diamonds. Zuma will die for Zuma. But the truth is that most South Africans are tired of such arguments, embarrassed by Zuma's antics, by his victimhood, desperate for this country to turn a new page. I feel, for the first time in the last decade, quite confident about the fact that justice will prevail, but it will take time. Cheryl Carroll has helped negotiate South Africa's transition to democracy. Since then, she's been a high commissioner in London and chaired the national airline. In her view, Jacob Zuma nearly broke this nation. He surrounded himself with men and women who were going to do his bidding on behalf of himself, his cronies and his family. I think for South Africans it's important to see every single person who have had a hand in this dastardly erosion of magnificent world-class institutions be properly brought to book with the full might of the law. So now with a new president and a crackdown on corruption, is South Africa out of danger? Many here have been mourning the death of Johnny Clegg, an inspirational white musician who helped provide the soundtrack for this country's miraculous transition to multiracial democracy. Now South Africa is waging a new struggle against a thieving elite. It's a struggle that Cheryl Carolus believes will require the same sort of unity and stamina. I just think that citizens must claim back their power because all of us live in places where we have the power of the vote. And by the time we wake up, it's going to be so late that I really, really think an act of citizenry is what is necessary in these dark times in the world. Dark times, but South Africa may be turning a corner, even perhaps setting an example to other nations wrestling with populist leaders who act with impunity. That report by Andrew Harding of the BBC in Johannesburg. In each and every one of us, there, there is a pebbles and graves. We were all meant to shine. It is up to an individual to, to realize, realize that, that pebbles. Don't ever let somebody tell you you can't do something. Join me, Amanda Machaga, on Life by Design, where I will be talking to people who share their journey on how they discovered their pebbles with the hope to inspire you to, to live, live your life, life by, by design. design. Tune in to Life by Design for your dose, dose of, of Monday, Monday motivation. motivation every Monday at 8 a.m. Central African time and at 2 a.m. the following day. Life, life by, by design, design, be the architect of your life. Only on Channel Africa, the African, the African perspective. perspective.
The controversial Estina Freda Dairy Farm project will be in the spotlight this week at the State Capture Commission of Inquiry in Johannesburg. The DA in the Free State Province will give introductory testimony on the project that was allocated more than 16 million US dollars for farming. The party laid the initial complaint with the public protector alleging that the money meant to benefit the poor was siphoned to companies linked to the politically connected Gupta family. Makhala Masiteng has more. The farm is alleged to have been a front for money laundering. The Free Ed Dairy project aimed at empowering local black farmers by the Free State government has been plagued by corruption allegations since its inception. It's alleged that 30 million rent in government funds meant for the project was instead laundered through Dubai. The money was allegedly used to pay for the 2013 wedding ceremony of Vega Gupta at Sun City. It was then accounted for as a business expense. Investigations were initiated where, among others, they led to the Hawks raiding the Free State Government offices and the Provincial Department of Agriculture in search for documents related to the Free the Dairy scandal. DA Free State Legislature spokes person Shelton Mollenze says the party is confident that the information they have will assist the Zondo Commission to hold those implicated accountable. So Dr. Jankelsen, um, the leader of the official opposition in the Free State Legislature has been requested by Judge Zondo to act as an introductory witness to the Freda Dairy Project which transpired within the Free State. In terms of Dr. Jankelsen's affidavit, it speaks specifically with regards to all aspects surrounding the Frida Dairy Project and has, with regards to his involvement as a committee member of rural development and agriculture in the Free State, in terms of which he has served there for a period of over 10 years. He has vast amounts of experience in that committee and certain information has also become privy to him. And we are of the opinion that that information can assist the Zona Commission to not only act as a commission, but to hold politicians accountable in the Free State Government. Eight government officials, including the Gupta family members, were arrested for fraud and corruption. Assets belonging to the Gupta family were frozen in the process. But the case was later provisionally withdrawn by the NPA, saying that they were still collecting more evidence. The would-be beneficiaries remained the biggest losers and one whistleblower was found murdered while others claimed to be receiving death threats. We received death threats. We are very hurt because using our names for other people's benefits is wrong because now they used our names for that dairy and we were hoping that they will call us so that we come and work. When they were done registering us, they took our ID photos and told us we will be beneficiaries. Meanwhile, the Pretoria High Court has since ruled the public protectors free the dairy report unconstitutional and invalid. This after the DA and the Council for the Advancement of the South African Constitution were dissatisfied with the findings and applied to have it reviewed and set aside. Amahala Masiteng in Bloemfontein.
An Ebola virus outbreak in the Democratic Republic of Congo has already killed more than 1,700 people since last August. But communities there are more worried about measles and basic services, says the World Health Organization. In an interview with UN News' Daniel Johnson, Dr. Margaret Harris explains how the added focus on the DRC since the outbreak was declared an international emergency last week could be an opportunity to do much more to help people in the longer term. So unfortunately, some information that was really essentially background discussion managed to get into a Uganda Ministry of Health CITREP that was posted on a website that does belong to WHO. So it was misunderstood as an official report. It was not. So the main concern is there was conjecture in that report that this woman had travelled to Rwanda while she was ill. This did not happen. So she only went to Uganda Unfortunately, she was very, very sick. That's correct, and we are very, very concerned about that trip. She was very sick. She vomited during the trip, so we have identified all the people who may have come into contact with her while she was symptomatic, and we are now monitoring them. We're also vaccinating them. Have you got sufficient funds to follow up on all of those contacts? Because that was something that Ted Ross, the head of the WHO, the World Health Organization, was saying. He's saying if we don't get the money, we don't get the contact tracing. We've certainly been operating with a major funding gap. We've been operating up until July with a funding gap of $50 million, at least $50 million. We're now looking at costing the next six months of work, and we know we have to do sustained work for the next six months to get on top and stop this virus transmission of Ebola. And in order to do that, we definitely need a large injection of funds. Since the Ebola outbreak was declared an international public health emergency, what's been the response of the world? There were fears that it would lead to DRC being shut down, shut out. What's happening? Are you seeing more support after the declaration of this international public health emergency? So far, while the world has certainly stood up and taken notice, and that is one reason for declaring the public health emergency of international concern, we've seen positive support and positive interest to date, and we really hope that continues. Now, you're going back to DRC on Sunday. What's the first thing you're going to do? First thing I'm going to do is talk to all my colleagues, but really find out where we are with the community. The most important thing is working with the community and finding a way to build the trust that we have still failed to gain. Why is that? It's, a, it's an interesting question. When you meet people there, they are wonderful. They are very welcoming. They listen to what you say. But the impression I have is that they have suffered so much. They have suffered so much from... It's not just Ebola, is what you're saying. They need help in all sorts of other areas. Exactly right. So while they say, yes, Ebola is interesting, it's not top of their agenda. They'd like good roads. They'd like clean water. They'd like to know that their children can reach their fifth birthday and not die from measles. We've seen a massive measles outbreak in DRC and while we're vaccinating, it still is in fact for people a bigger problem. They see it as a bigger problem than Ebola and we need to work on all those things, not simply Ebola. Last question, is there any chance that that might happen, the long-term sustainability of Eastern DRC in particular, given that it's got all of these problems, armed groups, infrastructure problems, health centre problems? What's going to happen after the outbreak is hopefully dealt with and the country is left to its own devices? Well, that's what we must not do. We're here now. This is an opportunity to do much more good 
that we can see why it was difficult because all these other problems existed. So it's the time to do our utmost to fix them and not just leave when Ebola is over. That's a World Health Organization spokesperson, Dr. Margaret Harris, on the line from Geneva, speaking to Daniel Johnson of UN News. Hi, I'm Pule Mulebazi, the presenter of the Albinism Report, a program that demystifies myths and mysticism on albinism, highlighting challenges and achievements of people with albinism. Tune into the Albinism Report on the following times, Monday 5 past 9 in the morning to quarter to 10 Central African time and from 5 past 10 to quarter to 11 Central African time, Tuesday at 5 past 2 in the morning to quarter to 3 Central African time. The Albinism Report, an enlightened narrative with me, Ule Mulebati, on Channel Africa from an African perspective. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorna. Africa, Amuka na Unai. Our headlines up next with Anne Musa. A very good morning to you. I'm Anne Moussa. South Africa's ruling ANC says President Cyril Ramaphosa has displayed transparency and accountability before the nation by publicly responding to public protector Bususum Kibane's findings against him. DRC authorities have banned political rallies this week in the capital Kinshasa because of tensions between supporters of President Felix Tshisekedi and those of former leader Joseph Kabila. And at least 17 people have been killed in clashes between Ethiopia security forces and activists seeking a new autonomous region for their Sadama ethnic group. Those are the stories making headlines. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorza. Africa, Amuka na Unai. A Cape Town-based women's health startup has been named winner of the Apps for Africa competition in which local African entrepreneurs were vying for an app development package. Called Fem Connect, the soon-to-be-launched app will allow women to access self-administered family planning methods digitally. Furthermore, the app will enable women to donate sanitary products to their local sanitary product distribution charity in their areas of choice. To tell us more about what this means, what this win means, we are now joined on the line by co-founder of the contraceptive app, Asonele Kotu. Asonele, good morning and thank you so much for joining us on Africa Rise and Shine. Morning, Lulu. Thank you for having me. Now, we can imagine that you're still trying to process the victory, the win. It's huge. It's massive. From what probably must have been a very, very, very tough competition. 
Definitely. I mean, every single day, I was just saying this last week to the competition organizers, it feels so surreal. And every time when I open the website, which is the same website that people were going to vote, and I see that FemConnect is the winner, it, it feels like a dream. It feels like tomorrow I'll wake up and people will be saying, hey, it's a joke. We're still in the competition. <laughs> now, tell us about the completion of the app and how long it took. So basically what we're doing now, as of the 1st of August, the Nubia Network team will now fully get involved in the development of the app. And how the competition worked was that um, we had to um, submit our business proposals and our ideas around what kind of innovation you would like to bring in, in your African country or to African audiences. And Sim Connect was one of the ideas that was submitted from South Africa. And um, when Candice, made, Candice, who is the founder of Nubia Network, and she said this year it was the inaugural App for Africa competition and they were only expecting about 20 entries, but the numbers that they received were so overwhelming they had to have a top 50 all the way from um, different um, countries in Africa. And so when we submitted Fem Connect, we did thorough um, um, informa- um, research and information around how will this work? Because this is something new in South Africa. We don't have anything like this. We had to find out what are the legislative processes that we had to follow. We had to find out how does this thing actually work because you can't just wake up one morning and decide, I want to have an app and dispense um, contraceptives to women. So all the research went into that, the costing of how much something like this would, would cost, and also looking into um, the different kinds of women that we have in South Africa and asking them questions. How do you access your contraceptives? What is the process that you're following? What are the problems that you are experiencing? And from then, we then realized that we all had similar problems. Whether we went the public route or the private route, our problems were the same. It was either accessibility or it was either the cost or it was either not having diverse enough opportunities to choose what you wanted for your own body. And that was the starting point of when FemConnect became um, from a dream into now a reality, something that is happening. Now, when we spoke to you some time ago, when uh, the you were announced as, uh, or the app was announced to be in the top 50 finalists, you mm-hmm. said this is a win for women in South Africa. Now, briefly reflect on how this app will change the game when it comes to accessing contraception. Um, so currently, Lulu, if you look at the, 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 the landscape that we're dealing with currently, there's, the, there's two kinds of women. There's the woman who goes through the public sector, which means going to the clinic and you have to wait for your contraceptives. But if you look at the kind of contraceptives that we have in our public clinics are not mostly self-administered except for the oral contraceptives, which are the pills. It's sometimes the implanons and sometimes the UIDs sterilization, their depot injection, and so forth. And in order to get those, there's usually a long waiting time that you have to wait at the clinic. And we found that since last year, in July 2018, the government confirmed that in certain provinces, they do experience shortages of contraceptives, which means that if you go to a clinic and you wait for three hours and you realize that they don't have your injection, you are sitting at risk for the next two to three months because maybe you cannot afford to go the private route. The other kind of woman is the woman that goes through the private route where she either or he, um, she might have medical aid or she might be paying it from her pocket, 
But that means you first need to go to a private doctor and pay for a full doctor's consultation, whether you are sick or not. And after that, the doctor will only issue you with a prescription. The doctor will not give you a contraceptive. You will then need to take that prescription and go to your nearest pharmacy and then pay again to get your contraceptives on a monthly basis if your prescription says three months or six months. So the two differences between these two women, the woman that goes through the public route has to have um, the long waiting hours. Sometimes she has to deal with stock out. Sometimes she's dealing with um, um, taking contraceptives that are not easily um, um, self-administered in the comfort of her own home. So what we said is that with these two kind of women, the, 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 the barrier between these two or the difference here is that one has easy access to self-administered contraceptives, but that route is too expensive. And the other one does also have easy access, but there's a long waiting period, and they're sitting at a risk of not getting what they're waiting for after those three or four hours. So how do we create something that, that bridges this gap and that enables us as women to get contraceptives conveniently and for us to be able to get these at the comfort either of our own homes, whether you're at work or wherever you are, whether you're traveling, you do know for a fact that there is a place called FemConnect that will make sure that they coordinate and they distribute and they bring your packages to your doorsteps, whether it's your monthly supplies or whether it's your patch or it's your pill or whatever. So those were the key things that we looked at and we said we want to have a, um, a, 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 an app that is able to reach out to all these kind of women without us saying, oh, it's only for those that can afford or it's only for those that um, do have money to pay for self-administered contraceptives. Now, let's talk about the prize and what exactly it entails. So um, the prize basically entails that Nubia Network will develop the app as, as we have put together in our concept notes and how it works and so forth. But also, apart from that, they, because they are an online business development platform, they help you as an entrepreneur with regards to business development, with regards to marketing. So they basically enable and empower you to bring your app to life. And one of the things that they said to us in the competition is that the competition was run in a way where we had to mobilize people to vote online for our app, and the public were the people that were voting for us. And the whole objective around that was to teach us as entrepreneurs that when you have an app, you don't just create an app and sit back. There are, there are things that you have to do. There's marketing that you have to do. There's campaigning that you have to do. There's awareness that you need to do. There's education that you need to do so that people can buy in and understand this, and then people then will start voting for you. So we did that for a whole month from the 15th of August, and the competition ended on the 15th of July. And it was such intensive work because now you realize that the public starts engaging with you and say and ask questions like the ones that you're asking, but what is the difference between going to the clinic and buying my contraceptives through an app? Or what is the difference between an injection that I get at the clinic to a patch? And people... I started to realize that many people do not know of many self-administered contraceptive options that we have in South Africa. So there's a whole lot of awareness that went in and education that went in into the campaigning for the competition itself. So now Nubia then will put together a team as of the 1st of August, and that team will then drive the launch of FemConnect into the market and making sure that FemConnect does grow 
as an app and it, it, it reaches all the nine provinces in the way that we had initially planned it to. So how soon can we expect it to be up and running? Well, I'm, I'm hoping before the end of the year because the, the first commencement date of the entire FemConnect team that will pull this whole thing is from the 1st of August, which is a week from now. And basically going to be crunch time because we need to make sure that we're putting all the systems in place, we're, putting, we're making sure that the app functionality works properly, we need to test it in the market, we need to get all sorts of things sorted. So it's going to be crunch time for the next three months or so, and I'm hoping after that, after Women's, women's Month in August, we can easily say, we're close there, we're close by, we can actually launch this because it is a matter of importance, it's national priority, and there's a growing number of unwanted pregnancies, there's a growing number of unsafe abortions, and this will also enable us to reduce those problems that we're dealing with because some of these problems are because of lack of access to contraceptives and some of them are lack of access to the right contraceptives that people want for their own bodies. So I, I can't give you a definite time, but I'm telling you it's going to be launched in South Africa before the end of this year. Asanele, thank you so much for your time and all the best with your app. Thank you very much. Have a lovely day. Lily. Thank you, and to you too. That's uh, Asunela Gotu, Chief Executive Officer of Fem Connect, joining us on the line. Tune in to Vision 2030 with Ona Pateke and Tabila Masugu, the new show revolving around the Sustainable Development Goals and Agenda 2030. Every Tuesday, 10 to 11 a.m. Central African Time. Connect with us on all social media platforms at Channel Africa One, hashtag Vision 2030. Hard work lies ahead for the supersonic Bloodhound car that will attempt its land speed record of 1,600 kilometers per hour at Hakskienpan in South Africa's Northern Cape Province. The Bloodhound team was in the Kalahari last week to do some groundwork ahead of the supersonic car's high-speed testing in October. Our reporter Reginald Vitboy has more. That's an SUV car testing the ground for the Bloodhound supersonic car that's expected to do its high-speed testing between October and November this year. For more than a decade, promises were made that the car would come to Pan and attempt to break the world record of 1,600 kilometers per hour. Last year, the Bloodhound land speed record was put under administration because of funding. All hope was lost, but in December... British entrepreneur Ian Warrest saved the project from bankruptcy. Now the car is finally on its way to South Africa. Operations Director for the Bloodhound Land Speed Record, Martin Roper, explains. Well, we first of all came here in May when there were still quite a number of damp patches. But having returned here today, it's obviously fully dry. However, there's still quite a bit of work that needs to be done. We've looked at the area where the causeway crosses the pan and there's quite a lot of fluffy deposits there and some stones. So that'll need to be removed. There's also a couple of areas where there are patches of stones, which again will have to be removed by hand. And then there's a, an area of a, a ridge at around about the 16-kilometre point, which again needs some quite serious work to, to make the track complete. This year, the team's aim is for the supersonic car to use about 16 kilometres of the track. And after that, if they are happy, it will then be decided when the car will come again 
and attempt its ultimate land speed record, Roper again. Okay, so the first thing to say, I and mean, we're really excited to be coming after all this time, there have been a number of false dawns. This year what we're looking to achieve is high-speed testing. And what I mean is we're going to run the car from low speeds, from zero, up to approximately 500 miles per hour. And from that, we'll be able to gather lots of aerodynamic data, which will go forward into the work that's needed to make this car even faster. So when we come back again to the hack scheme pan, we'll be able to break that land speed record. 300 locals in the Kalahari previously benefited from the Bloodhound project. They were paid to clear the pan by removing stones. They've also been looking forward to the car's arrival to put the Kalahari on the global map. And after many disappointments, they have a renewed sense of hope. Very excited about because, you see, it's, since, it's been a long time now we're waiting for the Bloodhound to come because we all want to see him running there. And they promise it'll come, come every year. And since now, nothing happened. But they see on the news, they said it's coming this year, now October. So I'll see about it. Actually, I'm very excited about it. Because there will be more job opportunities. And that reports by Reginald Vitboy in the Northern Cape. At 7.45, and our economics updates up next with Tabi Solohoko. Good morning. Zambia has informed the United Nations that it's doubling efforts to achieve sustainable development goals by 2030. Minister of National Development Planning Alexandra Chiteme says Zambia remains committed to attain SDGs as can be seen by the country's main streaming of about 86% of the goals targets into the 7th National Development Plan. Chiteme was speaking when he addressed the ministerial segment of the high-level political forum convened by the UN Economic and Social Council in New York. South Africa's automotive sector is turning its eye north in a bid to create new opportunities and establish new markets to produce and trade its goods and services. Automotive manufacturing stakeholders, including SA-based vehicle assemblers, financial institutions and component manufacturers, were in Ethiopia last week to gain insight into creating business opportunities and a favorable investment uh, environment for South African companies. Executive Director at South Africa's National Association of Automotive Components and Allied Manufacturers, Rene Musilal. We as the automotive manufacturing sector stakeholders in South Africa, including the vehicle manufacturers, the Association for the Vehicle Manufacturers, NAMSA, ourselves, NACAM, who represent auto component manufacturers, a range of uh, financial services and related stakeholders were part of a uh, initiative to interact with Ethiopian stakeholders, especially in the, the government space, to try and uh, guide and assist towards shaping policy. Lesotho's Minister of Trade and Industry, Habafanwe Lahana, says entrepreneurs should not struggle to source markets for the various products when they can approach his ministry for assistance. He says that the findings, the findings uh, 
A reliable market was an important aspect of business, but also admitted it could be a daunting task for business startups. Lehana said this following a recent trip to the China-Africa Economic and Trade Expo where he led a delegation from Lesotho. Pan-African banking conglomerate Ecobank has partnered with the Kenya Revenue Authority to offer digital solutions that will eliminate the need for taxpayers to carry cash to make payments. The digital solution will facilitate taxpayers to use digital platforms such as mobile banking cards, point-of-sale and internet banking to make payments. Ecobank's agents, also known as Express Point Agents, will also be able to facilitate the tax payment. High-level investors and policymakers from across the globe will next month gather in Rwanda's capital Kigali for the Golden Business Forum. The investors will discuss how the private sector can increase its contribution to the socio-economic development of the continent. The forum is also expected to serve as a marketplace where investors from all over the world can pitch for equity, grants and forge business partnerships with others from all over the world. The U.S. dollar is trading at 358.20 Nigerian Nara, 1041 Botswana Pula, 1023 Kenyan Shilling, and 1276 Zambian Guacha. In BRICS currencies, one U.S. dollar will cost you 374 Brazilian roll, 6297 Russian ruble, 6873 Indian rupee, 688 Chinese yuan, and 1390 to the South African rand. 79 pence British pound, 89 cents euro, golden thousand, 426 dollars, platinum, 844 dollars pounds. The price of Brent crude oil is at 63 dollars, 34 cents a barrel. From an African perspective. Our sports update up next with Figile Lingwati. First up in our sports update is rugby news. The Springboks confirmed a touring squad of 36 players for their rugby championship matches against New Zealand and Argentina in the next three weeks. South African rugby director of rugby, Rassi Rasmus, coaching staff and eight players jetted out of Johannesburg soon after the team's 35-17 victory over Australia at Ellis Park on Saturday night to join an advance party of 14 players who left on Thursday. A further 10 players take the next available routing last night. The scheduling means that Erasmus will have 22 players on the training field for an afternoon training session in Wellington today. The eight players who travelled on Saturday evening were Eben Edsbeth, Jesse Green, Peter Stervditui, Reynald Ilstad, Trevor Nyakane, Elton Yankees, Herschel Yankees and Bongimbo Nambi. Netball news. The Spa Proteas fell short of a podium bronze medal finish at the 2019 Netball World Cup in Liverpool. They lost to England by 58-22 in a three or third and fourth playoff match. The Proteas were dominated in all the four quarters after losing the first quarter 14-12, second quarter 15-10, third quarter 17-10, and the fourth quarter 12-10. Australian-born Proteas coach Norma Plummer coached in her last match after taking over four years ago, says she is proud of the progress the team made in her tenure. <laughs> 
We came here on a mission, uh, you know, with the South African girls, and it started four years ago. And uh, in um, 2015, we took them, I think it was from eighth to fifth, and this time around, we'd been at fifth for a while, but we were playing against all the big guns. Well, we've been able to jump a hurdle, make fourth, and that was, the, that was my mission. Um, to get us into the four and uh, you know the win over Jamaica was amazing for us because we had to get that hurdle before we went anywhere so look I think we've set South Africa up for the future just hope they can keep that going. Meanwhile New Zealand was crowned the World Cup champions after upsetting their biggest rivals and defending champions Australia 52-51 in a dramatic final. The last time New Zealand won the World Cup was in 2003 and Australia have been champions ever since. And as we continue with our sports update, we're looking now at athletic South African athletes Akani Simbini and long jumper Luva Manyonga have registered their first ever wins in the Diamond League this season. Simbine was the day's big surprise, racing to victory in the 100-meter final. After clocking 10.1 seconds to win the 100-meter heat, he claimed victory in the final in an impressive 9.93 seconds, beating Johan Blake, Andre de Grassi, and Zanel Hughes. Long jump champion Luvo Manyonga also stepped up to the task. He leaped to a season-best distance of 8.37 meters to beat Jamaica's Tejay Gale and fellow South African Rushal Samai. And South African athletes are gearing up for the World Para-Athletics Junior Championships that will take place in Notwell, Switzerland. The second edition of the Games will take place from the 1st until the 4th of August. Here is President Hrobelar. The squad is quite big. Uh, we've actually got we've got quite nice young talent that is coming through. So the only challenge is a lot of these athletes had to fund themselves because SASBD unfortunately is not in the position to be able to fund all the athletes to go international. Some of them has made it through and actually been on you know the high performance um, what we know call the Capex which they do get a little bit of funding from SASCOC. Um, remember, SASBT is affiliated to SASCOC. SASCOC is affiliated to IPC, which is your International Paralympic Committee. And if you're not affiliated to the correct streamlines in sport these days, you actually shoot your athletes in the foot. You must make sure that wherever you are affiliated, that you give that athlete the best opportunity possible for him to, to excel. That's the Spot News this hour. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zosa. Africa, Amuka na Unai. Recapping our top stories in Africa rise and shine at the Sawa, South Africa's President Cyril Ramaphosa seeks review of Public Protector's report and the WHO says Ebola is not top of people's agenda in DRC communities. That wraps up Africa rise and shine today. For myself, Lulu Gabu, producer Pumutura Magaza, technical producer Mario Edwards and the rest of the team, thank you for joining us. For comments about our show, send us an email at info channelafrica.org, WhatsApp on... Rather, 
tweet us at Rise Shine Africa. I'll take Nasa top of the hour for the news on DSTV's audio bouquet channel 802 and on www.channelafrica.co.za is in Dando with a song titled No No.